Thank you, Taylor. <coughs> Good morning, North Shore. Let's get ready to worship. Woo. I just had to do that after that whole fight scene, right? I mean, it just begged for it. Anyways, good morning. It's great to see you. Great to see you on the web. Just kidding. I can't see you, but I know you're there. At least they tell me that. Um, you guys, summer's practically over. I know. I'm bummed too. How many of you are raising tomatoes right now? Oh, there's some show of hands. I have tomatoes I'm growing, but there's a problem. They're still green. We're running out of time. And I go out there every day. I'm like, come on. Would you please just, just get red for me, right? And I tell embarrassing stories. I, I make them angry. They're still green. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But um, as you know, we're in Ohana month, right? Family month. And we're actually in the very last of our series on loving radically. And today we're going to talk about radically loving our neighbor. If you're an usher, you can please um, step forward and begin to hand out Bibles. If uh, you'd like one, go ahead and raise up your hand. Um, but as I start uh, talking about a particular story that many of us are familiar with today, I want to start with uh, a story about my cat. This here is my cat. My cat, Chanti, Tuniti, Tuntunti, Runtunti. Maybe you have various names for your animals. That's why they're schizophrenic. But this cat right here, I'm telling you, we watch Mariners games together, okay? And he laughs at my jokes. Few people laugh at my jokes. But our cat does. So I love this cat, right? Well, the other night or early morning, I was sleeping like most of us in this room, right? <clears throat> And this is the sound that I awaken to. And I open my eyes and I look up and my cat is on the windowsill right above my head. So I'm picturing this cat is going to puke on my face. Right? Whatever it was. Last night's dinner, maybe a mouse that's now liquefied. It's going to be on my face coming down the wall. So I did what you guys would have done. I reached up. I grabbed the cat with both hands. And like a two-handed shot put, I just flung it off the end of the bed, right? And it's, ooh, 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 it's still going, right? Well, when it hit the ground, that's when it really started puking, okay? And I got up and I saw this and I moved the cat onto the tile too late. And I did what I'm sure all of you would have done put a paper towel over the top of it, went back to bed. <laughs> now, I did clean it up a little bit at that point, right? But here's the deal. You clean it up because this is your cat, right? And you love your cat. You love your dog. You love your kids, right? So you clean up their messes. You take care of them. You see, it's easy to love those people and pets around us that we care about, right? That we know that are in our family that obviously need us. And those we're growing in trust with, to rely upon, to connect with, right? These are our peeps, right? But what about those strangers? Those that are not, that we're not familiar with, maybe, or that we haven't built a relationship with, or those people we don't know, or maybe we don't like. 
but who still might need us to love them well. Right? Which brings us to our next story. We're going to read this now that you have uh, your Bible. Um, Open it to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is a story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that many of us are familiar with, but maybe today, by God's grace, we can get just a little bit more insight into this story. So we'll read this together. Chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know for some of us, um, this is a very familiar story we've We've heard it, we've read it, maybe we've acted it out in a play at school. Um, we've heard it referenced so many times. And I think, Lord, sometimes with stories like that, um, we tend to just sort of um, gloss over them. We, we get the main message and, and we just go about our business. But Jesus, today, today would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts to, to mine the depths of this story, to see things and to hear things maybe that we hadn't even considered before. Jesus, your word is so rich and it continues to speak. So many years after those words were written, they continue to speak because your word is living and active. And Jesus, we ask that today we would ponder your word in our heart and that it would change us. In your son's name, amen. So if you're taking notes, point number one is a radical response for who is my neighbor. 
going back to the story again, the first few verses again says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to him to, and put him, stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, but do this, do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? You see, the lawyer in those days is not the same as lawyers that we consider today, right? He is an expert on the law, but it's on the Mosaic law, right? The Torah. And the text says that he stands up to put Jesus to the test. Okay, this, this seemed to happen quite often, didn't it? The Pharisees were always trying to test Jesus, to trap Jesus, somehow get him to say something that was controversial. Somehow they needed to discredit him, right? This was no different. Therefore, his questions are, they're not innocent. They're not out of a real desire to know the truth, right? Simply put, he's trying to trap Jesus and how he interprets the law here. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a big question, right? And Jesus responds with, well, as I love Jesus, he doesn't just give you the answer. He asks another question, right? I love that. Well, what's written in the law, right? How do you read that or how do you interpret that? And the lawyer answers with a Shema. The Shema is the, the central affirmation of the Jewish faith. It's their pledge of allegiance, if you will, right? To the God of the universe every single day. It's known by the young and the old and it's declared daily. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he follows up with, and your neighbor as yourself, which Jesus declares is the second greatest commandment. If you remember in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, where Jesus also declares, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Pretty important. That one comes from a Leviticus 19.18, actually, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's that whole verse right there. And then Jesus says, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Oh, great, right? Good thing we cleared that up. Let's, let's all go to lunch, right? No. No, see, the lawyer isn't done yet because he's desiring to justify himself, right? <sighs> I've done all these things, right? Okay. So, Jesus, who's, who's my neighbor? Guess what? Jesus doesn't give him a list. Wouldn't that have been simple? Here's my neighbor. Boom, 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 boom. Got it. I'm going to do it. I'm justified. I'm already doing that, I'm sure. Right? Because this real question is who is not my neighbor? 
Who do I not have to take responsibility for, for loving like myself? Here's a man who prides himself on keeping up with the lists, and he's not given a list. Instead, he's told a story. A story that's the very embodiment of how you love your neighbor as yourself. The law states what the commandment is, right? We heard that. And Jesus tells a story that demonstrates how to do that. So now we're going to learn how to do it, right? Or not do it as the story unfolds, right? Point number two, if you're taking notes, a radical indifference toward the other. Moving along, we're going to read two more verses. So lawyer says, who's my neighbor? Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So what's the, what's the religious response? Right, we got a priest and a Levite. Hey, they saw it. They saw him. They're not sure. He's not moving. He's half dead. What if he is dead, right? They have purity laws that say, mm-mm, don't go near him, right? So they pass by on the other side. I mean, that, that's plausible, right? What about, oh, maybe if they walk, maybe he's bait. Maybe the guys that did that to him are still around. They're hiding in the bushes. If they go up to him, they're going to get attacked, right? And besides, they can justify this because in Numbers 19.2 says, whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. These are priests. These are Levites. They carry out temple duties, right? Leviticus 21, 1 through 2 says, none of you priests are allowed to make yourself unclean by touching any dead person in your community except for your, your closest relatives. I'm not quoting that, but that's what it says. It's interesting, isn't it? This wouldn't be the first time that Jesus recognizes their propensity to put their purity regulations above the need of compassion. We see it in multiple stories, right? Later in Luke eleven thirty-eight through 41, Jesus is called out by a Pharisee who was surprised when he noticed that Jesus didn't first wash before a meal. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? I know there's times when I haven't. Anyone else? Yes, right. He didn't wash before a meal. The Pharisee called him out on it. Jesus says this. Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. He recognizes they have a propensity to look good on the outside. But what is going on in their heart? And that is the point of this entire story. Showing compassion to someone who is in need, right? 
And not to throw them any further under the donkey, but it could also be argued that after a careful reading of this text, they were traveling away from Jerusalem. Therefore, any immediate temple duties that that would require them to adhere to these purity regulations weren't in effect. Thus, they'd be free to engage in the obvious needs of this injured man on the road. Some of you may be familiar with Jeff Foxworthy. Um, He's made millions as a comedian. He said things like, if you think a turtleneck is a key ingredient for a soup, you might be a redneck. If you think the stock market has a fence around it, you might be a redneck. If someone asks to see your ID and you show them your belt buckle, you might be a redneck, right? So in that spirit, my friend Troy, former roommate, is now a campus pastor at Bushnell University, assistant professor. Uh, we had breakfast last week, and I was telling him about this, and he's like, you know what, why don't you come up with the top three ways that you could be recognized as a Levite? So this is what we came up with. If you ever come upon a bad come upon a bad accident and you're more concerned about the fact that they're that you're now late to something than you are about the people involved in the accident, you might be a Levite. If you've ever typed something on social media that puts someone down or made fun of their intelligence, etc., you might be a Levite. If you've ever avoided eye contact or engagement with someone on the street corner with a sign asking for help, you might be a Levite. And my friends, I say those things tongue-in-cheek because, well, I've failed at every one of those. Absolutely, right? There's times in my life when I've ignored those who are in need because it's just too complicated, and I don't have the time. But I love this story. And point number three, if you're keeping notes, a radical generosity toward the other. To finish out the story, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So how did the good Samaritan demonstrate radical generosity? Got a Greek word. See that right there? (laughs) Antiparer homeh. Can you say that with me? Very good, right? That's one very long word that translated means passed by on the other side. You see, the priest and the Levites' entire non-action could be summed up in one word. This one. Passed by on the other side. The Samaritans' actions 
They take up some 50 words, including the acts of approaching, bandaging, tending, placing on his transportation, adunkey, taking, taking care of, and repaying. Right? You see, ignoring someone in need is simple. But getting involved in helping others, it's complicated. It can be messy. It's certainly time and resource consuming. Oh, and it often goes unrewarded. Right? I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said about this story. He says, and so the first question that the priest asked, the first question the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Right? Isn't that the crux of this whole story? So after Jesus tells the story, he asks the simple question of the lawyer. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The lawyer responds with the one who showed mercy. Right? Notice he couldn't bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Right? Why? And why did Jesus use a Samaritan in this story? He could have chosen anyone. A Samaritan. My friends, the Jews and the Samaritans have a common ancestry. Okay? But then in the northern kingdom, it was invaded by Assyria, and the Assyrians interbred with, the, uh, um, with those Samaritans. Right? So they became impure, according to the Jews. Right? The Jews worship God on Mount Zion. Uh, Samaritans have a different place. I mean, there's, there's so many differences. They're unclean. They're, they're not worthy of us, right? It's the cousin you never want to show up at Thanksgiving. Anyone have one of those? Oh, it's your uncle. Okay. Right? Why did Jesus use a Samaritan, right? The hero of the story is one of them who shows compassion. And that brings us to our last point, a radical love toward our neighbor. What could this look like for us to go and do likewise? Who is our neighbor? Apparently, it could be anyone. Do you notice that about the victim here, the, the man who's, who's injured and laying by the side of the road half dead, who's cared for? We don't know who he is. We don't know his ethnicity. We don't know his religion. We don't know his age. We don't know his socioeconomic background. We don't know his political status. We have no idea who this person is. And I think that's by design. Right? Because apparently our neighbor could be anyone. Not defined, like I always do, geographic proximity. I know my neighbors, right? I can name them for you. No, no, no. Your neighbor's. Much broader than that. Right? Could it really be? And you fill in the blank. Think of the most undeserving, unworthy person in your life, in your culture or in your political context. Yeah, even those people, even they qualify as your neighbor. The Samaritan? 
He's the outsider, right? He's the one despised by the Jewish majority culture. He's the one who apparently ignored the same purity laws that applied to both Jews and Samaritans in this case. And he tended to the injured man's wounds. He's the one that Jesus holds up as the example of what showing radical love toward the other looks like. Not the priest and the Levite, not the religious ones, right? Not the ones who are bound by the laws that they keep and quote, who by their daily recitation of the Shema are dedicated to loving God and neighbor as themselves. The ones who are too busy, too distracted, too afraid, or maybe just too holy to get their hands dirty with, with this whole issue. My friends, we are inextricably connected to one another. The Apostle Paul talks about us being members of one body. Okay. What really holds us together? Is it our voting preferences? Is it our stance on certain issues? Is it our propensity or our solidarity in avoiding those things that we deem unclean or inappropriate? What if we were known, first and foremost, by how we radically love our neighbor, regardless of what they look like, what they believe, or even how they treat us? What if that's how we were known? I think it's so easy to politicize or dehumanize the other when we're not in their presence. And most of us have the privilege or the ability to not be in their presence, right? When we don't agree with those around us, we can leave. We can leave our church. We can leave our neighborhood. We can even leave our state. But what if we're willing to embrace the discomfort, to lean into what God might require of us? My friends, I believe that's where real transformation happens. Certainly reconciliation. Certainly relationship happens there. And that could be the beginning of what it means to radically love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, radically loving our neighbor will require us to do. It'll require us to act. It'll require us to show up. And that's the rest of the story, isn't it? That's the story that is yet to unfold among us. And I am so excited to see how that can happen and what that looks like. You know, as I wrap things up here, my friends, God's story is analogous with this story. Think about it. A man went down to Jericho and was robbed. He was stripped of everything, left for dead. He was ignored by the very people whose calling should have compelled them to intervene. But then an unlikely person, a person of questionable heritage... A Samaritan picks him up by the side of the road, rescues him in his pain and distress, brings him to a place of safety and cares for him till he's better. As people, we're born on this earth and in the process, we're robbed. We're stripped of our dignity and we're left for dead by an enemy whose sole purpose 
it says in John 10.10. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? Those who carry God's image. And the world passes us by. And we often feel alone and on our own. But then God does the unimaginable. He humbles himself. He sends his only son who grows up in this unremarkable town of Nazareth to rescue all of us in our pain and distress. Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He goes to the cross. He suffers, dies, pays the cost to set us free from our sins forever. He picks us up from the, ro- the side of the road of life. He tends to our wounds and he brings us to a place of hope and healing. Amen? But here's the hard part. I think now he's asking us to do the same for others. Not the cross part, right? But acting as his hands and feet on this dangerous and uncertain road of life, right? May we not pass by. Oh my goodness, it's so easy. I do it all the time. May we not pass by those who are in need, even if it comes at a cost of convenience, personal comfort, or preference. The road of life is scattered with people in need. How are we going to respond? So we do this every week, but um, we're going to look at some next steps here. Um, And instead of kind of the personal reflection uh, that we do often, if you're here with your family, if you're here with friends, kids, whatever, Maybe you don't know the person you're sitting next to. That's okay. Maybe just turn in a small group around you and take a look at these questions. Have a short discussion about who in your sphere of influence, whatever that might be, might need your help right now. Just come up with someone. And then what might it look like uh, to act neighborly in your community or in your school, right? Kids, I know there's, there's new students that are going to come into your school this year. And they're going to be looking for friends. I promise you. Would you be willing to be their friend? That would go a long ways. So let's just take a few minutes here. Talk amongst yourselves. And uh, just respond to these questions. And then I'll, I'll pray. And then our worship team will have one more song for us.
guys. Thank you for engaging that. Um, after we're done here, it'd be great if those conversations continued because we all know there's things to do out there, isn't there? There's people who need our help in so many ways. Let me go ahead and pray, and then our worship team's going to play one last song with us, okay? Lord, um, I admit to you that I'm not good at this, but I want to I wanna be better. Um, the needs are overwhelming sometimes, and it's easy to kind of wall ourselves off from those and to, to seek our own comfort and to minimize risk in our lives. But God, I, I don't think your word allows for that. And when I read this story, I, I see you not only asking this lawyer to go and do likewise, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you're asking all of us to do the same because we're part of your body. We're part of, we're your children and we're part of your church. And last time I checked, Lord, the church um, is, is a place where people can come and be healed and to find hope find you um, but we need to we need to spread a little bit of that light around a little bit of um, that hope around um, Jesus help us to do that give us your eyes to see the needs around us give us your ears to hear the cries of the, the people who for themselves and um, give us a heart, a heart of compassion that goes beyond how we might want to justify our ourselves. In 